So today's scripture reading is in Acts 14, verses 21 through 28. So you can read in your Bible, and it'll also be on the screen behind me. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can be seated now. So so you remember not too far uh, back where uh, regular travel was like a thing. Remember that? Um, so some of you, yeah, some of you are like, really? It was never a thing. Um, but it, it used to be a thing, and for those of you guys or gals who, who traveled for business and things like that, a lot of those things were, were shut down. Um, uh, but travel has kind of slowed a little bit, I, I think. But one of the things, thinking back to those days, right, when you used to travel so much, um, is, is on those trips, one of the best parts was getting back onto that plane or starting in the car, uh, for me, uh, to come back home. Anybody else, like, you just, you just love to come back home, right? Like, to, to come back and get back in your bed, right? Or see the family. I mean, see the kids and, and, and see the family. Uh, but just get back in your bed, eat your food, you know, the, those kind of things. Just, just, just love that. Um, our flights to Vietnam. I love being in Vietnam on, 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 you know, missions trips and things like that. But coming back after that 185-hour flight, there's nothing sweeter than just going back home. And... Uh, and so I, I say that to set up, we are at the end here in Acts 14. If you're new with us, this is what we do here at the Park Church. We preach through books of the Bible. And we are finishing Acts chapter 14, which the last two chapters have been Paul's first missionary journey. And so here at the end, he's coming, he's coming, or he and Barnabas are headed back home. All right? And, and I want to pull up this map because it shows us something that's very confusing, And I gave you three words last week to kind of interpret Acts with. Um, And and one of them was, the first one was curiosity. Like there should be this Holy Spirit curiosity as we read and study the book of Acts that goes, wait a minute. Like as I look and read these pages and see these lives, and I look at my life, they're incongruous. Maybe you say in our church, in our community, or whatever it may be. There should be this curiosity that's stirred up in us. The third is, or the second is risk. That was the, the second word. Risk, or another word could be cost. Constantly, we're confronted with these folks who are just risking and paying these costs as disciples of Jesus Christ. And the third word I gave was power. You're going to see all of those again in these small verses. And by the way, I'm not going to cover all these verses that she read. I'm actually only going to make it through three, 21, 22, and 23. All right? And it's not because I'm scared. started over here. It's just, I want to cover these three. So here is the journey. All right? So they started over here on the right 
where that gold dot is. Okay, don't be confused because there's two Antiochs, but this is where they've started from and where they're headed back to, all right? So the red line you can see for you visual learners is the first route of Paul and Barnabas, okay? So they come and they, they sail here to the south to Cyprus and they head up here to, to Perga and then up to Antioch and that's an incredible place of revival and things like that. And now they're in Galatia. Remember last week, Iconium, he got ran out of town. We got ran out of Antioch too, but they got ran out of Iconium because they were going to get stoned. And then down in, in, in Lystra or Lystra, uh, he actually, Paul actually got stoned. And that's where I left last week's sermon where he, he, he was stoned to death, right? At least they thought they drug him out to the gates and his disciples come around him and are like, wait a minute, he's breathing, right? And he stands up, Paul stands up and goes back into the city of Lystra. It's an incredible scene, right? And then, and then he gets up from Lystra after being stoned literally beaten, bloody bruised. And he takes about a 60 to 80 mile hike from Lystra to Derby, right? This is this, this center red dot there. <laughs> and I just had to like confront our, all of our weaknesses, right? Like just, we are so weak. And Paul, you know, makes that hike. He says, let's go share the gospel there in Derby. So that's where we're at. And now they're, they're wanting or pointing to go home. Where's home? The gold dot. Here's what I want you to see. What's the route they took home? Any math majors in the house? The, you know, the, what's the shortest distance between two points? It's a straight line. All right, you know. Derby, the blue line is the line they took back home. Right? And you go, well, well, maybe there was some, you know, alligators or something. No. Maybe there were... No. What I want you to see by the mere route was what led Paul and Barnabas was not comfort, was not preference, was not efficiency or expediency. What led them was the spirit of the living God. That what mattered most to them was not getting back home to get back in their bed, to eat their food. And listen, I don't think anybody would have been mad at them. I guess a pretty rough trip they had. If you look about the year that his first missionary journey, he was nearly killed everywhere he went, right? I don't think anybody's going, you want to take a direct flight home? That's cool, man. I get it. It's been bad. But what was leading Paul's life? What was leading Barnabas' life? More than his preference, more than his comfort, more than efficiency, it was the spirit of the living God. And the spirit of God said, listen, I want you to go back. I want you to go back. I want you to retrace your steps through these cities. Why? Why? Well, we're going to answer the why here in a second, but I want to ask you this question. In our society, where individualism rules, where consumerism is at the top of our list, we're often, as we've seen in the book of Acts, confronted with these scenes of selflessness. You can leave that up. These pictures that don't make any sense, that should be stirring up a curiosity in you to go, what in the world are they thinking? I want to ask this question. When was the last time you sacrificed your comfort, your convenience, your preference, maybe even your safety for another person to help them grow in their faith? Like, think about that. Maybe, as Jake said, in these meaningful conversations of shared practices, that might be a good one to talk about. So why did Paul do this? Why did Paul and Barnabas take this route? 
because they cared about the unfinished business that was set before them by the Holy Spirit in these churches with these new believers more than anything else that they brought to the table. They cared about these new churches and these new believers more than they did about getting home and back. Listen, Jesus' call to his church, Paul and Barnabas obviously included in that, is this, to make disciples, period. Did you see in verse 21? It says, now when they had made many disciples... They returned back, and it gives the route, and I'm not going to go back through the route, but their whole goal was not to win a bunch of converts. It was not to simply preach the right message. However, the driving force and vision that Jesus gave Paul and Barnabas, and thus us, is this, that your call is to make disciples at any cost, in any way, in any form and fashion. It is to develop a deep group of people who are committed to the way of Jesus above the way of self. I know it's just week two, but how's that sit? Richard Foster, he wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. He says this, he says, the desperate need today, meaning for the church, is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I think it's so easy for us to go through the book of Acts. We look at people like Paul and Barnabas and just go, man, they were just so, they were so gifted and they were so intelligent. And No, the reality of those two men is that they were this, so ordinary. But what was extraordinary about them was the level to which they yielded their lives to the spirit of God. That is why that blue route exists. Because they were committed to the vision and mission that Jesus laid before them more than anything else in their lives. That's what causes us in our lives to take detours like that. The people in culture will look at you and go, like, just go home. Just go from here to here. Just go to service and sing three songs, listen to a message, pray and go home and get back to your life as usual. Listen, God wants to interrupt us. You know that, right? Like one of the names of the Holy Spirit is the great interrupter, right? That's not really it. But it is what he does, okay? It's what he does in our life if we yield it to him. That he interrupts what we think is progress. And he goes, no, I actually want you to go back. I want you to go back to those places and those spaces that you fled from, that kicked you out. I want you to go back to them to establish a deep people. And not just to establish a deep people in them, but to establish depth in you. And so here's what I, I think we see in these, these, just these three verses. I think we see six things that Paul and Barnabas were going back to establish in these people that they needed and thus we need. And the first thing, look at this in verse 22 that they established in each of the cities was this, that he went, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples. We, des- and, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, I think we need this word more now more than ever. Like what we need as a community of faith, what we need as disciples is first this scene in verse 22, we need the strengthening of our souls. Now, this word strengthen is an interesting word. It's actually the Greek word, right? The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in two primary languages, Hebrew and Greek. And this is Greek, okay? So the Greek word for strengthen is sterizo. Sterizo. It's where we get the word steroid. Okay, it's the same word. It's where we get the word steroid. So the idea of what Paul and Barnabas are establishing and what Luke's communicating in Luke is that there is a strength that comes, a building up that comes from outside of you. That's what a steroid is. 
outside of you, there is this strengthening and this strength that can come. Another definition for, for this word would be a planting firm. The word I just used, a depth to you that only comes outside of you. So Paul and Barnabas are coming here to these cities to strengthen the people. You want to know what a deep person looks like? You want to know what someone who is, who is deep in the faith, who has the strength of the Lord upon them? Read Psalm 1. I'm not going to read it to you. But read those first three verses. That's what depth looks like. That's what a tree planted by the stream of the word of God, the presence of God looks like. But the reality is so many of our lives are not planted by the stream that gives us life. It's planted by other streams. And it's not making us deep. It's actually making us very, very shallow. It's actually making us think that we're strong, make us think that we're deep. However, when the winds come or when the waves knock against our life, what happens to that tree? It falls over. And so we need to think about where our lives are truly planted. And so this is what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They're strengthening them from the outside. The spiritual disciplines. If you are part of the Parks Church, you know this is a common language and rhetoric around us. Not because the disciplines are these legalistic actions and activities that get us right standing with God. That's Jesus. But the spiritual disciplines are given to us through the word of God to go, listen, your relationship with God, these are like rails, right? This is like kerosene on the fire of your life that you will understand and bring you into the presence of God, right? Some of the disciplines are engaging, engage our hearts. Some of the disciplines, like silence, at least for me, is resistance, right? I want to talk all the time. I, 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 want, I want to do all these things. But he's going, no, be quiet. Sabbath, one of resistance, right? I'm addicted to progress and I'm addicted to all of these things. And God says, no, 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 here's what I want you to practice. Rest. And see that I will be working in your resting. And see that your working will best come out of resting, not the other way around. Right? I don't work to rest. I work out of my resting. That's how this works. And so these spiritual disciplines are meant to build us as deep people. However, the disciplines for most of us have not been present in our lives in any form and fashion. So what's, what, what's happened to our spiritual muscles? They've atrophied. You know what muscle atrophy is, right? Some of you medical professors, you know what that is, right? Where if you don't use it, you lose it, right? If it's in a certain place or a certain way, like, like you don't have that muscle. And so these disciplines, they build the muscle for us individually and for us corporately. That is what it looks like to strengthen. And so Paul is bringing these. And so notice Paul's, and I, I said this at the intro, Paul's prayers are interesting for uh, his churches in his letters. So if you examine Paul's prayers, he never prays for the people to be delivered from what they're walking through. Examine them. Not one time does Paul pray for his churches to be delivered. He always prays for his churches or the people in his churches to persevere. To go through those things. For a faith that will allow them to walk through each and every trial. Why? I think James hits, James hits it on the head. James 1 verses 3 and 4. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking in nothing. That's strength. That's what Paul and Barnabas are going to with these new believers. Maturity, strength, not lacking in anything. All right? But it's not just, they're not just coming in trying to create a strong group of people, but there's a way that they're going about this. Look at this in verse 22. It says that they were encouraging them to continue in the faith. Now there's two parts there. Right? So you have strength. Now he's encouraging them. What's the difference? Well, the difference is in the words that they use here. 
Strengthening means that there's this idea of this outside practice and this force. Now, this is an encouragement from the outside coming, speaking into them words that are edifying and building them up. Part of discipleship and part of our community must be that we are an encouraging community, that we come alongside one another and call each other out and up. All right. So I had a vivid example of this yesterday. I've taught my my middle son. uh, He's four years old. He's just learning how to ride his bike without training wheels, all right? And he did it yesterday. And some of your parents are like, oh my. Like, yes, that, we're walking through it, and that's why my wife primarily does it. But I had the joy with him yesterday a little bit to work with him. So here's what this looks like, okay? At beginning, it's just me picking him up, literally physically putting him on the seat of this bike and going, put your feet on the pedals, right? That's my encouragement to him. Put your feet on the pedals. Puts his feet on the pedals. And then what do I do? I hold on to him in the bike. And I'm like, you're just going to pedal. And so we go together, we go together. I'm like, dude, you're doing so great. He's doing terribly, right? He's not in here, by the way. I'm like, he's not doing anything. Like I'm doing all the work. I'm like, buddy, you are doing so great right now. You're doing so great. And then guess what? Like he begins to pedal. And then I remove one hand from his physical being, right? And I'm like, dude, you're still doing great. And he actually is doing better and better and better. I'm like, you've got this. You've got this all day. And what happens? I begin to let go. He doesn't know I let go. I'm like, you've got this. You've got this. And he pedals and he pedals. And the next thing you know, he's cycling, right? And some of you who have been through this process, you know that that's how it works. Listen, with us as disciples, whether we're the ones on the bike or we're the ones holding on to another person, we're going, listen, we are in this together. We're facing this together. We're going to walk through this together. You're not alone. You're not alone. You see, why was Macklin, my, my son, why was he confident to get on that bike? Why was he confident even to put his feet on the pedals and begin pedaling, right? It's not because he thought he had any skill whatsoever, right? He knew he didn't, right? He was confident because he knew his parent, his mom or his dad were right there and he was not going to fall, right? So here's what we do as we encourage one another. It's this idea of us coming around each other going, listen, you're not going to go through this alone. It's not this, listen, this is not a self-esteem talk. This is not a pep talk like hip, hip, hooray. This is real encouragement, real life, literally holding on to the bike of life together going, we're going to do this. We can make this. The Lord, he's present with us. You're going to pedal. You're going to cycle and let's go. There you go. What happened in 12 feet when he pedaled? Yeah, you're laughing because you know he fell. And I came up. I said, we all fall. Let's do it again. Like that's the kind of encouragement. That's the kind of spiritual encouragement that a community of faith coming around one another who is serious about strengthening and building up disciples and making disciples. That's the kind of encouragement we need. We should be sharing in with one another. Is that true? And listen, again, I just want, it's not this flimsy It's not this flimsy, pacifying, like, oh, you're great. No, you're going to make it. No, 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 it's I'm going there with you. That's the encouragement. It's Paul and Barnabas showing up, knocking on the door of these early churches going, hey, you want to speak life? Not from a distance, but up close. And third is this. He says that he was encouraging them to continue in the faith. Some of your translations say, in faithfulness. That's not correct. All right. So if you got one of those translations, mark through faithfulness and put in the faith. Faithfulness, yes, is a good thing. It's a God-given thing. It's a fruit of the spirit. I understand all that. But what, what Paul, Luke is saying here in Acts is that he is instructing them in biblical doctrines, in the actual things that make Christianity unique. They were teaching to this group of believers. 
Like what we need, especially now in this day and age, we need biblical doctrine. We need to understand the faith that we, we profess. Jude 3, he says this, look at Jude. He says, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, Jude's going like, I had this idea to write to you. However, I'm going to write to you something else. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend or fight for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the faith that Jude is talking about here is the same thing that he's talking about in Acts. This is talking about a set of biblical doctrines that are foundational and must be true about us as Christians, right? We don't get to make up what we believe about God. That is given to us by God himself through his word. This is why one of the reasons we are so passionate and convicted toward the way that we teach, because we want to know how God has disclosed himself to be. We don't get to make that up. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are coming to these new believers saying, right? They're getting to go, listen, as God has revealed himself, you believe it, okay? You believe and you live in it, all right? So we need biblical doctrine. However, um, many of us have just settled for like sanctified TED Talks, Right. Or, or, or these spiritual truisms with, you know, a few verses sprinkled here or there. Like we need we need the word of God in all of its substance and all of its power just to be. I love what Spurgeon says, just to unleash that lion and just let it go on us. Right. However, however. Christianity is not merely. I believe in Jesus Christ. OK, hear me. Most of the world would say that. You're going to have people who knock on your door at your house. Say, yeah, yeah, yeah espousing a false religion. Go, yeah, I, I believe, we, we believe in Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks to this, right? Even demons believe in Jesus Christ. But the question you need to be asking and the one that we need to ask ourselves and our church is this. What do we believe about Jesus Christ? This is the doctrine. This is the substance. This is where it, it does matter, right? You say, well, I believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, lived perfectly, died innocently on his own accord, and after three days rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death, right? Like, yeah. Amen. Check that box. Which I'm like, yeah, amen. All those things are right. That doctrine is correct and true. But so what? Have you believed that in a way... Have you believed that biblical doctrine in such a way that it actually has transformed your life? Where you look at that reality that I just said so quickly over all of the pages of scripture and it absolutely transforms you in every facet, in every fiber. Jesus is not just the savior, Jesus Christ. He is savior and capital L O R D Jesus Christ. He is our Savior and our Lord. So if he is not king by Lord, if he is not over all of your life, whole life discipleship, there is no, there is no such thing as partial life discipleship. You know that, right? Like either your allegiance is to King Jesus or it's not entirely. There's no middle road with this. And so you can believe in a sense, yes, I believe in Jesus, but what do you believe about him? Either he's king or he's not. You see, proper doctrine leads to proper obedience. What do you believe about Jesus? And maybe a better question is, what does your life reflect about what you believe about Jesus? Fourth, I said there's six. We're going to go through these last three really quickly. He says, in, in saying, this is the end of verse 22 in saying that through many tri tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. 
So they come into these communities, committed to these disciples, not just taking the first direct flight home. They're going back through and they're strengthening them. They're encouraging them. They're laying out biblical doctrine going, listen, this is what makes you unique. These are the beliefs that are core to who we are. And then notice that fourth one. It says that they told them that through tribulations, you'll enter the kingdom of God. The best way I know how to say this is that we need reality, right? Like, bless you. We didn't, we don't need more spiritual pacifiers. You know that, right? Like Paul and Barnabas, they could have came into these early churches and just been like, hey, it's going to be cupcakes and roses. It's going to be smooth sailing, right? If you just name it and claim it, it's yours. You know why they wouldn't have believed Paul? Because they would have looked at his face, literally. True? Gash, beaten, bloody. And they're like... Either you, like, you don't realize what you're saying or you're a liar. But what did he say? No, no, it's through tribulations and hardships that you'll enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas wanted them to know that part and parcel to our lives as believers is this, that we are going to face many trials and tribulations. They told them the stinking truth. We need reality. Either side. In a world with so much facade and fake everywhere. And listen, that's not either side, either. I, I don't care. I'm just saying it's all around us. We need the truth. One, one great theologian said this, that the church is the, should be the greatest and best truth-telling community on the planet. Why? Because we have the capital T truth. So that we can share the reality and the truth one to another. That it doesn't offend us and it doesn't hurt us. But because of a depth we have with each other and a love we have for Jesus and thus one another, we can actually tell each other the truth. Listen, when Sam tells me the truth about me sometimes, more often times than not, I'm not like, dude, yeah, I received that with a glad heart. I'm like, yes, you're right. You're so right. I just am, you know, I'm a jerk. I need to check, you know. No, I'm typically like, bro, like back up. Like I know you. I know you're staying you know, like, and then what happens? The Spirit of God wakes my heart up. And I see the grace of Jesus Christ in that. I see his love and his mercy. And I see even Sam's devotion to Jesus above our friendship. And here's what's crazy about it is in that we actually become closer. When reality is there. When truth-telling is there with grace and mercy. But listen, that takes relational equity. You know that, right? Because some of you are like, oh, yeah. I got a Ph.D. in truth. Your truth, you no, you don't. You got a PhD in something else, but we're live streaming, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Are we really a truth-telling community? Right? Is the realities of what it looks like to enter and live in the kingdom of God really present with us? Hear me, church. Like we, you don't need any more smoke and lights and spiritual truisms. I mean, again, I could bring up my two-year-old son who's still sucking on his three-month-old passy, right? And you're going to be like, that is a large child with a baby passy in his mouth. It looks weird. But that's what we have in so many churches. Hear me! Because the reality and the truth of God is not present there. We'd rather placate and fill the pews rather than clear them and be obedient. Five. 
It says that they went to the cities and appointed elders in each of them. We need, as a community, we need local, qualified pastoral oversight. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a pastor, okay? Like, hear me, this is what Paul did. This is what he did when he established new believers, when he established communities that were going to be obedient. This is what he did. Um, we will hear sometimes, and maybe it's a, a kind of a newish movement. Like just, I'm just, I'm, I'm disenchanted with the organized church. I'm disenchanted with the organized church. And so, some, I'm like, okay, I can read the thing under the thing. But I'm always like, so what are you for? If you don't like the organized church, you like the disorganized church. You like the unorganized church. Because I read the New Testament, I don't see that. I see the messy, organized church. I see that it's a messy group of people trying to be obedient to the way of Jesus. But I see it's organized around qualified, local, pastoral oversight. What I think I hear when you go, just I'm not about the organized church. What I think you really mean is you're not about authority. I don't really want people telling me what to do. I want to be the captain of my own ship. Ah, we got it the lowercase g that God that is so enticing to all of us called autonomy and control. I cannot get around that Paul sets up these local communities with the the grace of qualified leaders who lead in serving in humility, not with authority and a hammer, okay? And last one is this, and I love, and I think this is most, most interesting about this passage into verse 23. It says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You see that? Like they went through all these things, all these right, good, biblical things, strengthening, encouraging, right? Telling the truth, biblical doctrine, right? They appointed leadership, but at the end of them, here's what they did. Spiritual disciplines, by the way, prayer and fasting. They submitted them to the Lord. And they say, Lord, we can do all of these things and we will do all of these things. But ultimately, what we need more than anything is your divine power and faithfulness in this group of people. In my life, what I need more than anything is I need the divine faithfulness that only the Spirit of God, my kids that I talk about so often, all three of my kids, what they need more than anything. And listen, mom and dad, we will raise them in the ways of Jesus. But here's what we do. Ultimately, we open our hands to the Lord and we go, Lord, they're yours. And what we're asking is that you move in their hearts with divine faithfulness. Here's what we're doing with this church, with our church. And it's not even ours. It's Jesus's church. The parks is his. We're going, Lord, what we need more than anything is your divine faithfulness. We're asking that you move in our hearts in a powerful divine way that we can't manufacture, that we can't systematize, that we can't program out. No way. But you can do it. And so the last thing that they do, and I love this, is that they pray. And they submit to God's sovereign will. And they go, Lord, would you do this, please, with prayer and fasting? And so that's what we're going to do. And I've given us a few extra minutes because here's how I want us to end. Um, and we're serious. <laughs> I, I feel like coming out, coming through this pandemic, like it's real easy to give lip service to some of these things and go, that's what they probably should say. Um, but like, we're serious. Like we want to be people who are practicing the presence of God. Like we want to be people who hear the word and don't just go, man, that was a good word. Like that was, that was a solid word and we hope it's good and we hope it's solid. But we want to be like, Holy Spirit, do something in my heart with it. Like, I don't want to just go on to lunch and talk about the Cowboys game. I, I, I want to be stirred so that I might be transformed by your spirit. And uh, man, the conviction toward this message and how we respond in this room um, is that I just sensed a call to repentance. 
that we just need to repent. He is drawing and we need to ask the Lord, like seek his face and ask him to show those areas that he is drawing out from us and he's trying to put in us. Like, you don't need another sermon. Hear me. You don't need another song. You don't need another service. What you need is the spirit of God alive in your life, colliding with those things. I need that colliding with my heart that is in combat all the time with his spirit. And repentance is me surrendering that. Going, Lord, I can't, but you can help me, forgive me. I trust you. It's pleading for that divine faithfulness. So can we do that again? We're going to wade into maybe some awkward waters until this becomes routine in our body. But I'm going to do this up here and you can bow your head and um, seek God. Ask that he might heal us. Right? An- another week in our country, right this week, where we're just confronted again with how broken things are. And we've been talking and praying again for renewal and revival. The only way we get to renewal and revival is through repentance. It doesn't happen apart from it. Again, it's not sermonized out of us or saying out of us. It's repented in us and through us. That God would bring clarity to these confusing days. That he'd bring strength and faithfulness to my, just my confused soul. That we can be tired and weary by these days, but the Lord is here to strengthen us. But the way of strength is through the road of repentance. So let's seek God, church, together. Let's do it right now in your own space, in your own place. If you need to move, that's fine. But let's seek God. Father, your word says that if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and seek you, that you'll bring healing. God, as I search my own heart and even this church, God, our problem is not a lack of a knowledge of who you are. It's not a zeal for the things that you're about, Lord, even. But it's a lack of humility. And so, Lord, I pray that you would forgive me, forgive us for a lack of humility. A pride and an arrogance to think that my way is the best way. That I can know thought. And so, Lord, I pray for healing. I pray for healing of of lives in this church. Freedom for the oppressed. I pray for an awakening in this church out of repentance, out of the groundwork that you've called us to do, out of lamenting, out of going through the steps that you call us to, that we would see and discover joy. We would see and discover life that you have for us. God, forgive us for trying to manufacture renewal and not seeking your presence. Forgive us for trying to get through the service and not being in your presence. The point of why we've gathered to be changed by your presence. Forgive us, Lord. Now, God, I pray that we would even keep this posture 
of repentance and humility as we lift our heads, as we go our ways to schools, to workplaces, to homes, to environments and spaces where you're calling us to testify to your goodness in a fractured and broken culture. Let us be a picture of a better way. Let us be a picture of true healing and not continued division. Let us be a picture, God, of your spirit alive that creates curiosity, that calls us to take risks, that displays your power. God, I pray for this church that when people peer in and people experience the people of the parks, that there would be one one conclusion about us. It's that we're a people of your presence. It's a people, we're a people who hear your voice and by faith walk in obedience. Lord, I love you that, that we can take this journey together. Thank you for your spirit. Now make him more alive this week than ever before in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.